Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Elland. Before we get started, I want to uh, read a comment we got on our website. Uh, It says, thank you once again for a wonderful program. I feel this truly is a divine gift having this podcast being broadcast to all of us. I get teary-eyed after every episode, listening to others trying to eradicate cancer while trying to maintain their place on Earth. Love to everyone listening and involved with this amazing podcast. And that's from Terrence. And we thank you, Terrence. It's uh, very kind of you. Wasn't that nice, Corey? Very. Now, imagine this. You're in your late 30s. You have two young kids. Your wife is pregnant, expecting a third. Uh, You go to the doctor and you're told you have inoperable colon cancer and you've got 12 to 18 months to live. Well, that's what happened to our guest today, Scott Davis from the UK. He had that uh, episode about uh, a number of years ago. We'll ask him about that. And today, Scott is now cancer-free. Scott, how many years ago were you given that fateful diagnosis? Uh, It was almost five years ago now. It's September 2018. Um, The the six-month prior to that was when I started in the issues back and forth with stomach aches and stuff like that but after six months of misdiagnosis they finally diagnosed me and um, uh, yeah it was uh, something I wasn't expecting uh, the, the the diagnosis that I got and uh, unfortunately being inoperable they they only had um, palliative chemo that they could offer me so it kind of come down to um, having to look for anything any other options at the time and mm-hmm. luckily for me um i think the the whole cannabis thing was just sort of on the online and that and it was something that was kind of in the background straight away so it was something that i looked into immediately um and um yeah and that was five years ago and uh yeah luckily so far so good i'm still in remission uh, in the UK, you have to be in remission for five years before they can officially class you as cancer-free. But um, from the scans that they're taking at the minute, there's no inoperable tumour and uh, there doesn't seem to be any active cancer anywhere. Now, leading up to the diagnosis, you were suffering from stomach cramps, fatigue, and doctors initially thought you had pancreatitis, right? Yeah, initially it was IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and it was I needed to tweak my diet, um, and then it might have been pancreatitis and stuff like that. So we were trying to work out um, things, that, and that's what started making me look at diet and stuff initially, was well, what can I do to ease my suffering at the minute, and what's going to benefit me? Um, but it, although everything seemed to sort of have a small effect... 
everything come back round to sort of uh, leveling out and being painful again and that. So small dietary changes did have an effect at one point, which led us to believe, well, it must be irritable bowel syndrome or pancreatitis. But once you start recovering a little bit, you go downhill pretty quick again. So, uh, yeah, it was unfortunate that uh, it took so long for them to actually um, well, basically take me serious enough to actually investigate a little bit further. Scott, uh, when I just sorry, Corey, I just going to say when the doctors diagnosed you, why did they say your colon cancer was inoperable? Uh, it's it was wrapped around. It, my, I had a tumor that was pushing on my pancreas and my liver, and it had tailed off, and it had wrapped around my bowel arteries and was woven within the blood vessels of the colon, but on the outside of the colon. Um, so they weren't willing to operate. Um, which kind of left me in a position where, I mean, at one point, the good news was um, they'd given me the 12 to 18 months, but because my wife was pregnant at the time uh, and they knew she was due to have the baby within three months, they were kind of honest enough to sort of say with the way that my health was going and the, the way I was just deteriorating, they, they didn't think it would be any more than sort of three to four months. So they kind of was in a position where they were just trying to, get me to a point where I could get home uh, after spending about three months in hospital. Um, and that, when I got, I'd started doing the alternative route in hospital because there wasn't, didn't seem any point in wasting time. But it was when I got home that I could really focus on it, uh, the cannabis side of things and stuff as well, and the diet and vitamins and um, everything else that I started adding into what I was doing. Um, and slowly and surely, months and months down the line, I seemed to not deteriorate and just level out and then started creeping up and getting better and better, um, which I think surprised, obviously, the the oncology team that was dealing with me um, and obviously surprised us all considering the diagnosis that we got in the first place. What went through your mind when you were given that diagnosis? Uh do you know what it's a weird feeling I didn't panic and I didn't get upset um and I mean it even says in my notes on the on that day that they give me the diagnosis that I didn't get upset I didn't cry I went out the room for sort of 20 minutes just to collect my thoughts and then come back in with some questions that I had um and although they're very dismissive of the alternative route that was the first time that we bought I bought it up and my dad was with me in the room at the time with his wife um, and we mentioned, well, there must be something. What about alternative routes? What about cannabis and that? And my oncologist was incredible, to be honest with her, because I know how dismissive a lot of oncologists are. But given the position, she said, look, at, at this stage, I don't think anything you do is going to make it, the situation worse. So if you feel like it's helping, then go with it. If you feel like it's not, then stop. Um, and, and I really appreciate that because a lot of people I've spoken to they're, they've not got much option, but the problem is their oncologists dismiss it um, mm -hmm. as a bad idea or as it won't work. But, but, but with the lack of education and that from the, that side of things, I, I don't really see how they can give an opinion unless they actually know full well. Um, so I was grateful for my, for my oncologist for me, for her giving me her general opinion and, um, you know, sort of, in a sense, sort of allowing me to get on with that. And um, I could be honest and open with her. And throughout the whole time, 
I was honest with what I was doing, with what I was taking. And it even got to the point where I think even they thought, well, this seems to be working for them. And they're, they're, uh, at the meetings we used to have, they used to say, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it because it seems to be having a positive effect. Um, and then that's how it went. And it took 17 months from that initial diagnosis to finally get to the point where the tumour was not showing any active cancer. And then incredibly three months on, which was 20 months from the diagnosis, I did a PET scan uh, and um, yeah, lo and behold, the inoperable tumour disappeared by that point. That's amazing. I've been kind of living on cloud nine ever since then, but being aware of what I eat and what I take and uh, yeah, and, and then obviously appreciating every single day. Scott, what was your diet like prior to your diagnosis? Well, I mean, this is a thing. I, I used to be in the Navy. I was in the Navy for five years. So you can imagine being young, 18 to 23, you're traveling the world, you're drinking a lot with your friends, and it's an incredible time of your life. But diet-wise and that, you're not really thinking about that. You're enjoying life. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I left the Navy, I... Um, become a builder I trained to be a builder and of course that in itself is kind of you're rushing around you're not sort of eating very well for me personally I ran a building company um, for 16 years and the stress that comes with that and the convenience food and I don't I think that whole combination of things and then being one of those people that thinks you've had a hard day and you deserve a beer um, it becomes a daily routine. And then it's only then when I sort of look back after the diagnosis, I realise every single day I was probably doing something that was negative and having a negative impact on me. And that with the stress of running a company and stuff and just, you know, you, you, you felt like, I feel like I burnt the candle at both ends for a long period of time. So it all sort of come to a head when I was 38, really. But the whole situation has definitely opened my eyes up to sort of, what is potentially within our grasp of healing ourselves and um, what we can potentially do to sort of prevent and heal from cancer. Scott, when you were diagnosed, you underwent chemotherapy. How many chemo sessions did you have? I was offered six palliative chemo sessions. um, And the idea was, was because of the tumor was so big at the time, it was going to, the, the chemotherapy shrinks your organs. So the idea was it was going to shrink my organs to give me that bit of um, end of life, sort of quality of life in a sense, rather than being continuously in pain. Uh, and I was on a lot of morphine and tramadol. Uh, and we did the six palliative chemo sessions and um, the combination, because I'd started doing the cannabis, the THC, the CBD and diet, vitamin D and all that. And... Um, after the first six sessions, the tumour had shrunk by 50%, which they weren't expecting. So I was offered another six sessions. Unfortunately, after that six sessions, it didn't do anything. And that's when they had a PET scan and delved into what was going on with this tumour. And that's when they found that it was woven around more vessels and it was all linked in. Um, so although it had shrunk by 50%, which was incredible, um it was kind of bittersweet because it meant there was no shift in it now and that was the last they could do. Um, So I continued on the alternative route and like I say, I think the palliative chemo finished in the March 2019 and it wasn't until the following uh, March, 
February, March time the following year that I've finally reached um, a point where the tumour was showing no active cancer. How did you feel after your after your uh, your chemo treatments? Terrible. Um, it it strips everything out of you. I think. I mean, I, at the time, I wanted to throw everything at it. I mean, I was begging for any trial or operation or anything. And um, and from everything that I'd read, to be honest with you, I know a lot of people sort of pick one or the other, but a lot of what I was reading. You know, the chemotherapy has got its benefits to a point. Um, and I think as long as you're trying to do something alternative to boost your immune system and try and keep yourself in tip top as you can, then you, you kind of counterbalancing it out in a sense. That was what my mindset was, was if I was going to do it, I was going to throw everything at it. And then at least then if it didn't go the way I wanted it to, I could I could kind of leave with no regret and feel like that I, I, I genuinely tried everything and I give it everything. And I feel like I did that and I, I definitely feel like it's paid off. Um, yeah. How much oil were you taking a day and was it multi-strain? Did you dose it orally, rectally, a bit of both? I had, um, I, I took suppositories, THC suppositories, and I was putting THC into capsules I was putting CBD into capsules and then I had a time where I'd take it because being in the Navy, you do a lot of watch keeping and stuff. So I come up with a list of what I wanted to do and I used to take it at eight in the morning and then again at um, 12 o'clock, then four o'clock, then eight o'clock again. Um, and I'd do that routinely and I'd have the routine with the vitamins and the milk thistle and everything else where I'd be taking that at a certain time every single day. And I stuck to that routine for a good, well, 17 months solid. And it was only once I reached remission that I decided to sort of tweak it and change it slightly because I didn't feel I needed to be taking as much THC because although I've built my tolerance up to it, it is something that um, obviously day to day, taking that amount, a gram a day in a sense at one point, um, it's, um, it's trying to find that happy balance with living a life and being able to do the school runs and everything without being away with the fairies constantly. <laughs> Were you a cannabis user prior to this incident? No, I mean, um, I think everyone tries it when they're, when they're younger in their youth and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I tried it and it was not something that really appealed to me. And then joining the Navy at such a young age, obviously they've got their own drug rules and, um, it wasn't worth any risk for me to try anything like that in between that period of time. So it wasn't something that's really been on my radar until I was sort of 38 and become aware of the medical benefits of it, as opposed to just the social benefits of it, in a sense. It's interesting that you uh, you took your, your health into your own hands. And when I was reading your story and doing a bit of research on your story, I found a great quote by Hippocrates, the father of medicine, who says, if you are not your own doctor, you are a fool. Mm. And I think you are your own doctor and you defied conventional medical dogma saying that you'd be dead within months. I mean, yeah. they, they, they told you 12 to 18, but as you said, your oncologist said, it's just a matter of a few months before. Yeah before you're gone and here you are today almost five years later you're cancer free uh, because of what you did yourself not yeah. what the doctors did for you but what you did yourself 
I think that is truly remarkable. Both you and Corey are truly remarkable because you, I mean, Corey's into uh, year 11 now, I think, Corey, right? Yeah, year 11. Yeah, year 11 being cancer-free after being given only months to live. Yeah. And uh, you're almost at year five. And uh, my bet is that you will see your your grandchildren. Yeah, you look amazing, Scott. You're in great shape there. Well, do you know what? The, uh, I think the thing is, it's it's stories like Corey's that w- were passed on to me and other people. Um, there was an la- incredible lady called Joyce Smith, and her story was passed on to me as well. So it's 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 a collection of those stories that the, that actually give me the hope and the inspiration and the encouragement to to believe that you know this is possible. This is something, and I think that's one of the biggest things that anyone can take away is the fact that the alternative. It might not work for everyone, but what what a uh, what a thing to believe that you're fighting to live as opposed to accepting to die, and I thought that's that's the, the, you know the effect that stories like Corey's have on people is the fact that you know surely that's more beneficial for anyone is to want to feel like they're fighting to to live than just accepting you know to die in a sense. Scott, uh, when I was looking at your profile, uh, did you have some health issues earlier this year? I had some chest pains and stuff. Um, I've been in and out of hospital with a few chest pains, but they can't seem to find the, the cause of that. I mean, there's a suggestion that it might be to do with the palliative chemo and the amount of weight that I lost and that. And now I've kind of gone back from, you know, at one point I went down to about sort of 62 kilograms. Uh, and I'm back up to a healthy 85 now. And I think the drop in weight and then going back up again, I think it can it obviously has a big effect on your uh, your body and um, your chest and all your organs and stuff like that. So uh, I try and keep as fit and healthy as I possibly can and eat fit and healthy as well. Um, so I th- And it's been a while now since I've had any of those chest pains. So I think the further I get away from any of the conventional, I feel like it's either been detoxed out now or, you know, the, the body's found a nice happy level at the minute. When you talk about your weight, uh, it reminds me, Corey, of uh, the interview we did with Miles Critchley, who lost half his body weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had um, cancer and he's cancer free. And he now eats one meal a day. And he's extremely healthy. And I think uh, your mental attitude and the change of diet, and as you said earlier, believing in your own mind that you want to live as opposed to being afraid to die, I think that is really, really important for a lot of people to understand. Yeah. And congratulations to you. Thank you. Scott, can you discuss a little bit with the, the supplements you took when you were uh, fighting this as well? Because there's often an interest from people on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously the cannabis and the CBD was something that I was taking uh, four times a day, but I was also taking milk, thistle, vitamin D, uh, curcumin, um, vitamin C, vitamin B12, omega-3, vitamin E, uh, a, a half an aspirin and then obviously one of the kickers um, after about 12 months of kind of 
remaining stable and stuff, I added in um, a drug called fenbendazole, which comes from um, a dog worming tablet, Panacure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I added that one in because there's sort of science that, that the studies and that that show that it can block glucose pathways and it can change cancer cell mutations. So I thought, well, if I'm doing well at the minute and if that's something else that can just tip things in, in, in the balance for my, in my favour, then it's worthwhile doing. And uh, obviously, a, a lot of studies show that sugar is the main feeder of cancers. So if the fenbendazole can block glucose pathways the whole time whilst I'm trying to reduce the amount of processed sugars I'm having as well, I felt that that could only be beneficial. And um, yeah, I think the combination of all of that definitely sort of was the winning formula for me, um, to be honest with you. Thank you. Corey, give us your comment on sugar. What do you call sugar? Uh, I say every time that you ingest sugar, it's like pouring miracle Grow on your cancer cells. Mm. <laughs> that's right. That's a great comment. <laughs> How much um, cannabis are you taking a day now, Scott, as a maintenance dose? I take one to two drops of THC, which has been mixed with um, either olive oil or coconut oil. Or to be honest with you, I sometimes mix it with the CBD because I take the CBD anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of mix the two um, and take CBD in the morning and at night still. Um uh, so it, yeah, it's just one of, and because it's not been researched in the UK and it's not legal, it's it's difficult to sort of judge what the recommendation should be. And obviously, everyone's cancer is different, everybody's makeup's different. So it's it's a real anxious juggling act in a sense to make sure I feel like I'm doing enough to be on the right side of um, remaining healthy and remaining in remission, but also not wanting it to take over continuously where I'm focused on that all the time, like I was for the first sort of three years. Um, even after the, even after I reached remission, it was very much routine, routine, routine. So it's just trying to take the foot off the gas and enjoy life without feeling like I'm constantly doing something and fighting cancer. Um, but I think that slowly comes over time. I mean, I'm sure you're, you're the same, Corey. Now you're kind of further down the line. It, it must be less of a an anxious thing for you than it was in the first few years. Yeah, but I'm still very aware. Very, very yeah. aware of it. Yeah. 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 Scott, what was your daughter's reaction to what you've accomplished? Or did they say anything? Or Well, the, I mean, to be honest with you, I kind of started... Um, the Facebook page just to let my friends know and to let them know, be aware of my position and the situation I was in and, you know, to try and sort of make a bit of awareness and make sure no one else found themselves in that position. And also the important thing was for me to share with people that, you know, life insurance, I mean, that's been incredibly important to me. It wasn't something that I was hoping would be paid out because it was only a critical life insurance if you get 12 months or less. But that was um, enough for me to sort of be able to focus on myself and my family as opposed to have to worry about bills and that. So that was incredibly important as well. Um, I mean, I put that on par with the alternatives because that eradicated so much stress and worry about how am I going to pay bills? How am I going to, you know, enjoy the last months or few months of my life with, um, you know, financial worries? Um but yeah, I feel like um, 
that 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 was something that definitely helped me, and it put me in a position where I, I, I was free to sort of be able to share my experience with other people and that, and and, and focus on the blog and that, and, and try and do what I could do to sort of um, share the story in, in a positive way to help other people and give them that encouragement and that inspiration to think that there is, you know, it's not just pharmaceutical that can heal cancer. We, we've got a lot more power than we give ourselves credit for. Absolutely. Corey, here's a guy who was given months to live, and in September he plans to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, which is 19,000 feet. Unbelievable. Wow. What are you doing to uh, get in shape for that? Well, I've been running quite a lot. I've been, I mean, um, I've done quite a few half marathons for charities and stuff and raised money for charities. And it's also for a personal reason, just to prove to myself that I'm fit and healthy now. And I'm at, I'm going to be 44 in September. Uh, and I thought what an achievement it would be if I can climb Kilimanjaro and peak. Um, and that would basically be five years on from the day that I got diagnosed. Um, so, yeah, it should be an achievement. And I'm, I'm, I want to start my own charity up. Um, and, and this is the kickstart of it all to sort of get local companies to sort of sponsor and that. And, um, yeah, and then moving forward, I'd like to do more challenges just to sort of encourage other people and show people that you can go from, you know, death's door in a sense to almost top of the world um and you know that you can achieve anything if you believe in yourself and you really go for it good for you fantastic yeah. scott how do you view life now compared to prior to your cancer diagnosis i think the biggest thing for me is realizing that the materialistic stuff in life is irrelevant it's not important um hmm. you know I, I used to work so hard at trying to give my children the best of everything, the best house we could have, the nicest cars, the best toys and stuff like that. And then really all I realise is they don't want any of that. They just wanted my time. So I spend a lot more time doing things, that are the simplest thing, doing the school runs or just taking them swimming and going surfing with my kids and playing football in the garden with them and, and just the simplest of things which give us all the greatest of pleasures, to be honest with you. And I think after everything we've all been through as a family, it's definitely um, gelled us together a lot a lot more solid than I, I think it would have been if it never had happened. So in a, in, a, in a weird way, cancer's sort of not ripped us apart but brought us together Um and yeah, moving forward, it's definitely made us all appreciate life and just how fragile it can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel the same way, Corey? Oh, yeah. Life is, life is the appreciation of life generally, as opposed to material things in life is much more important. Family, relationships, things like that. Yeah, I do. And also... I don't, I don't know about you, Scott, but particularly for a while there, it would just bug me when people would get wigged out about this, what, in, from my perception, where the stupidest little things, and it's like, oh my God, why are you spending all this energy freaking out over something so... Inconsequential. Yeah, inconsequential. Yeah. Oh my God, just move forward, enjoy your life. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, definitely. You realize... Focus your, your energy on more positive things i i feel that's that, that's exactly what's happened i feel i feel like i've found a direction now mm -hmm. focusing the energy that i've got and um the drive and determination that used to make me work so hard 
I've found that I've still got that, but I can put it in a much more positive direction in in, in okay. using that to you know accomplish different things that will either encourage other people or or help other people. Um, so yeah, I'm really pleased um, in a sense that not pleased that it happened, but I, I, with the outcome and um, the, the outlook I've got on life now is completely different to what I would have imagined it to have been. To be honest with you, so yeah. Scott, what has been the toughest part of this journey that you've been through the last five years? I think um, physically I was in a position where I couldn't really stand and have a shower on my own. So the mental impact that has on you, um, I think that's still there. I mean, I still sometimes look at myself in the mirror and and catch a glimpse of me and I feel you get a, a reflection that you're still poorly. And I think that's probably my driving determination regarding fitness and trying to be as fit as I can is to prove to myself that I'm as far detached from what I was when I was in hospital where I couldn't shower, I couldn't really stand up, couldn't do anything. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but mentally, I think it's um, I think it's an ongoing thing, to be honest with you. It's definitely eased a lot to what it was. And I don't have the panic attacks and the worry anymore. Like, it's, you know... You feel like today's your last day, but then in a sense, that's quite a, it's a weird privilege to have in a sense, because it does make you appreciate every day when you do feel like today could be your last at some point. Um, so I, I take that with me, the fact that, you know, we never know what's around the corner. And like so many people used to say to me, which I used to find frustrating is, um, well, you know, I could go and get it by a bus tomorrow which I, <laughs> I know people were trying to say it in a nice way because, you know, you're sat there with cancer and they're right, they could walk out the hospital after visiting you and get it by a bus. But, yeah, it's one of those comments that you kind of feel like, well, I suppose that is true, but um, don't play in bus lanes. Yeah. No, that's right. One of these Scott... not like the other. Yeah, yeah that's right. There's not much of a comparison, is there? No. Yeah. Scott, and I think, I think when you get hit by a bus, you don't know about it. Whereas cancer, <laughs> you're sat there, you're aware the bus is coming, and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Scott, how has this journey been for your wife? Uh, I think it's been tough, to be honest with you. I think um, one minute you feel like you're losing your husband, and you're going to be a widow, and you've got to bring up the kids, and you know have all these anxieties and worries about that, and, and then the next minute, you know. Things seem to be going fine, and that, and I, I know she probably still worries in that. When I have had the chest pains, and when I, when I don't feel great, your initial thought is straight away, "Oh God, is it something serious?" It, you know, I'm not as anxious about it now as I used to be, and I know everyone gets it tweaks and pains and twinges here and there, um, and I'm and I'm not associating it as now like I used to straight away to the cancer side of things. Whereas I know it's been hard for my wife in a sense that she's had to go through it from an outside point of view. Um, and mm -hmm. it, I can only assume it must be incredibly hard for someone to sit there and not know how to help you or how to do it. And it is basically down to you, the person with the cancer, to try and do it. And they've just got to, unfortunately, go along for the ride, whether that's all the highs and the lows. Um, but, yeah, no, we've definitely – it's definitely been a struggle for us both. But I feel like it's um, – you know, I've been with my wife since I was sort of – 20 years old and she was 18 and I'm sort of 44 now and she's going to be 42 so we've been through a lot together as it is um, 
And I think after we've got through this, I don't think there should be anything that we can't face together now, hopefully. No, very well said. Scott, congratulations. And it was wonderful of you to tell your story again. And we wish you all the best and uh, wish you all the best in September when you climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Thank you. Yeah, let us know how you do. I will do. Yeah, I'll have to give you a call from up there and see if we can get a signal going. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Before we go, I want to let our listeners know that you can help us spread the word about the amazing, often life-saving health benefits of cannabis just by sharing the podcast, writing a review, or rating us. We very much appreciate uh, the help of everyone who's done that already, and we really like the five-star ratings. We'd also like to thank those of you who support the show by making a one-time donation or a monthly donation on our Patreon page, which you can do for as little as $5 a month. It helps to keep us running. You'll find out how to do that on our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Thank you for your support. It means so much to us. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodConX. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.